0: I'm Michael Shriver, and today we're on the campus of Richard Bland College. Love 804 is, has a very active ministry out here, ministering to student-athletes and coaches. We prepare and serve pre-game meals for every home game. This year, Richard Bland has five intercollegiate athletic teams, women's soccer, men's soccer, women's volleyball, men's basketball, and women's softball. Our fall season starts August the 21st, and softball wraps up the first week in May. So we have the opportunity to minister to student athletes and coaches throughout the entire academic year. In addition to providing nourishment for their bodies, we get to pour the good news of Jesus into these student athletes. Prior to every meal, we have a time of prayer and sharing, which enables us to build relationships and mentor the students all year long. My name is Scott Newton. I'm the
1: director of athletics, a head volleyball coach. So I uh, love 804 has been great for Richard Bland uh, being here. We know for these kids, it's not always easy coming to a new home for one, maybe two years and they've done a good job about helping these kids feel comfortable here with the messages they send, and, and the food's been great for them. I know they've enjoyed that part, um, but having the mentors has been really huge for these athletes to feel comfortable like it's another home, and then to be strong when they compete, and also going into their uh, classes. We've really enjoyed Love 804 and c- very appreciative
0: of them. So, you see, we have our own world mission going on right here on the campus of Richard Bland thanks to Love 804. The doors are open, the fields are white for the harvest. Love 804, God's unconditional love and kindness. Try it, you'll be blessed.
1: Isn't that exciting to hear? You know, folks, I I guess for a little over two years now, we've been saying our vision is to be a church that the 804 cannot imagine being without. This is one of the first places I really begin to feel like, hey, that's not just a neat thing to say. If you go out to Richard Bland College, most people out there know what Love 804 is. And they see it being a blessing. And I'm talking administrators, athletes, they, I, th- I think we're getting real close, they'd say, I can't imagine being here without the heights and what they do for us. And all of that came just through serving some meals. And, and, and serving those meals, being there and building those relationships has become real ministry, ministering before surgeries ministering in the midst of of crisis and failure, ministering in the midst of some broken homes. You you, you just wouldn't realize that feeding a meal and all of a sudden you're you're ministering in all of these really difficult situations. And uh, man, the work out there at at Richard Bland, uh, Michael and Ralph Shriver leading that, they're actually here in our service, sitting right over here, just acting like normal people. When they are heroes, they are heroes of the faith, and uh, they just uh, go and go and go out there. And what I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a ministry to be a part of, what's interesting about this one is it it really is tailor-made to what you want to do. If you want to serve one time this whole year for an hour, you can do that. You want to serve once a month? You want to serve every week? You can do that. I mean, there is so many different avenues just for where you are to how you engage in this ministry. It might be something you do as an individual, uh, as a family. It can be something you do as a life group class. And so uh, I encourage you at the end of the service, Michael and, and Ralph, wave your hands again so we can actually see this. Of course, we just saw Michael on the, on the screen. But uh, go out there and uh, you can ask them about how you might get involved, how you might get some more information if you for some reason can't or don't connect with them out there, you can call Wes Rose, our missions pastor during the week and he'll get you connected with that. It's just an incredible ministry of of what is going on there and uh, do really appreciate all the time that uh, a handful of people have put in to give us that opportunity as a church. So, you know, we, we, we lift that up now. Here we are at Richard Bland, the start of school. And of course, it's not just Richard Bland, I think, that's starting school. It's kind of a big week coming up, isn't it? We have anybody over here going back to school pretty soon? Yeah, quite a few. We have the the start of school this week, and uh, that is such a big thing in our culture. I mean, that I know we've got the whole January first thing, but the truth of the matter is, the start of school is what marks the beginning of a of a new chapter, the beginning of a new year. And so, just want to take some time and and pray for that because it it affects and touches so many of us. Uh, I'd like to know who we're praying for also. If you're a teacher or an administrator uh, would you stand up homeschool private school public school would you would you stand up so we can see you and stay standing we're going to pray for you yeah, they, now remember remember somewhere about Thursday afternoon how you were clapped for and loved and everything. <laughs> Probably not what you'll be feeling Thursday. But anyway, uh, if you're a student that's starting school, would you stand up so we can uh, see you? All of them, a lot of them are going to be over here. Over, oh yeah, all over. Super. Now with them standing, let, let's have a word of prayer for them, okay? Lord, we come before you on behalf of each one of these that is standing up. And Lord, we pray for them just a great, great year. A year, Lord, I know there'll be some, there'll be hopefully some good things and there'll probably be some hard things. There, there may be some successes, some failures. I pray in all of it, they'll have an opportunity to see you to see your glory, to see your goodness and faithfulness and all that they're doing. And uh, Lord, I pray for our, our teachers and administrators, uh, just a, a really good year. I pray you give them wisdom, you give them grace, you give them guidance in how to best perform their skills and their abilities. I pray you give them favor with the students, favor with with parents. And uh, Lord, I just pray, especially for this week coming up, just getting started. There's a, a lot of craziness that goes with that. And again, may they just be a spirit of peace and encouragement and hope. Uh, for their class, for their school. And uh, Lord, I pray it's going to be a a good year for them. Lord, I pray for all the students. I I don't think a culture does much more important than when it's investing in the next generation. And I, I pray for each of these students a good year where they grow strong in their body, in their mind, and in their spirit. Lord, as they go through the various ups and downs of a school year, again, I pray that's going to be opportunity to know you better than they ever did before. An opportunity to trust you and to walk with you. Uh, Lord, I pray for each of these standing that that in those places of education, people will have an opportunity to see God. In them, how they handle the good days and the bad days, that they'll have that opportunity. Lord, I again, I pray your favor, your blessing for a great year ahead. May you go with them, and Lord, in everything in front of them, may they know your presence. We ask for all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good start to school. God bless all of you. Now, a little bit of a rough segue here. The next sentence is me starting my sermon. It's not about school, okay? Because I'm going to use the word pain. So don't connect the two. <laughs> All right? So, hey, listen, when you are in pain, it's very common to feel alone, isn't it? When you're in pain, it's easy to feel like, man, nobody, nobody knows, nobody understands, nobody cares. And I'm not talking about whether that's a, a right feeling or a wrong feeling. Truth of the matter is, it's, it's probably both. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's probably wrong. I'm not really addressing whether it's right or wrong for you and I to feel that way. I'm just, I'm just saying, and when we're in pain, it's very common to feel alone in that moment, isn't it? And I want to say to you today something absolutely not shocking. You, you totally expect the preacher, the pastor, on Sunday morning to say this very thing. You are not alone. And believe it or not, now this might be shocking. I don't say that to you as a word of encouragement. I say that to you as a challenge, as even a conviction. Because too often we feed the lie. It's a lie that you're all alone. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. He knows, he cares, and he actually understands. Jesus has walked where you walk. He knows what you're feeling and experiencing because he has felt it and he has experienced it himself. Whatever we go through, anything we go through, Jesus has been there. I want to take a moment and show you a list of uh, 15 things that I put together out of Mark 14 and 15. 15 things that happened to Jesus, listen to this, in the course of 24 hours. I'm not saying the only pain, the only difficulty Jesus felt was in this 24 hour period. But wow, look look at this 24 hour period starting on a Thursday and going up to and through The cross, you'll you'll look at some of these things and go, no, wait a minute, you're just trying to make a long list there. Number number four and eleven are the same. Yes, there are some of these points that are very similar, maybe would create a similar emotion or a similar experience in our, in our heart. But they, but they actually are different. There'll be a little bit different angle in what happened in that moment. And it is a distinct and separate event in that it happened in that moment. And I'm not saying these 15 things are the only things. You know, I, I really want to encourage you this week to, to take... Mark chapter 14 and 15. That's what we're coming out of today. And take this list. And you'll see when I show you the list in a moment, everything will have where it comes out of in Mark 14 and 15. And I want to encourage you to sit down and read the story. It's a little bit of a long chapter or chapters. Uh, They're they're a little bit long, but read through them with the list and say, okay, this is where this happened. And, And say, okay, now, you know, I've been through something like this. I know. What Jesus feels like in this moment. I know what's probably going on and and see what you can do that, that has been in your life that you can identify with what Jesus is going through. And of course, as you identify with what Jesus is going through, you'll see that he identifies with what you are going through. I think it would be really important for you and I to to try to meld our emotions, our experiences and understand what really is going on with Jesus in these things. You know, when I say take these 15 things, if I could take just a second and do a shameless plug for our church app. You know, I, I, know, I know sometimes because I watch y'all every Sunday, you're going to take pictures of the screen to try to get the list, right? And that's fine. Take the pictures. But we, we have a church app and, and it there are so many things in that app that help you engage with your church, understand what's going on in your church, make it so much more proficient and effective. And one of those things is the sermons and the sermon notes. Every Sunday, everything that is on the screen, you'll see in the church app. But not only do you have a, a, a picture of that, you can actually go through the app and you can make your own notes on top of those notes, email it to yourself, post it. I mean, do a wide variety of things. So I want to encourage you to do that. You can go to either app store, uh, search the Heights Baptist Church. You'll see the little black box with our white logo in it and uh, play around with that and see what you're going to be able to do with that. So that's one way when I say, because I really am praying that every single one of us will spend some time in Mark 14 and 15 and with that list this week. Let's look and see what Jesus went through in 24 hours. Number one, Jesus' worth was questioned when someone loved him. You know, on the, on the whole scale of things, that might not seem like the biggest thing in the world. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced that. You know, you're, you're going along in a day and somebody does something good for you. You get something good and it bothers somebody. Have have you ever seen somebody get bothered because something good happened for you? Like you don't deserve for good to happen to you? I I, I don't know if many of us have experienced that. Jesus has. Jesus watched somebody get bothered that that something good happened for him. Number two, Jesus was betrayed by a close friend. We, We might debate just how close a friend that Judas was. But, you know, there's really no other way to define him. Judas walked in Jesus' friend group, group of about 12 people, and walked with them every day. I mean, the best we can tell, it was every day, all day, for three solid years. There's, there's really no other word to define to describe Judas other than a friend. And really, I think you have to add the word close. And yet it would be that close friend that would get the ball rolling, that would place Jesus on the cross. His close friend, betray him. I'm Imagine some of us have felt the sting of betrayal. You know, Jesus knows what you feel like. Number three, Jesus' closest friends would abandon him and leave him all alone in his hardest moment when it all fell out, when it when it really began to happen, they they were gone. I mean, literally, physically, he's standing there all alone. I mean, you ever wanted it? Man, will will anybody speak on my behalf? Will anybody say anything to defend anybody say that's not true. That didn't happen. What what about not just stand there sometimes. Have you ever been comforted just by somebody's presence? It's not even what they said or did. It's just that they were there. Jesus didn't have that. He had no one there. He was absolutely alone. Gosh, he was alone when people were there. I'm referring to number four. I'm referring to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and just in the intensity of praying and thinking about what's getting ready to happen. And, and, and man, he's overwhelmed. The scripture says he was sweating drops of blood. That's pretty overwhelmed, isn't it? And, and so he turns to, again, a close group of friends. As a matter of fact, we might look at them as like his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And, and he says, I mean, can you imagine? Maybe even tears. Blood coming off his face and he says, would you guys, would you pray with me? Would you pray for me? And, and, and Jesus goes over and he starts to pray. I don't know how I like, prayed five minutes, prayed a half an hour. I don't know. But he, he looks over at his, Peter, James and John. They're asleep. Now, I'm pretty sure that's when you have the right to say that even those that love you the most don't get it. Even those that are there for you, man, they don't understand I mean, when Jesus had people nearby, he was alone. Number five, Jesus was lied about. What's even worth to discuss there? We've all been lied about, right? Everybody knows what it's like to be lied about, including Jesus. Including Jesus. He knows what that is. He knows what you feel when you're dealing with the fallout of somebody lying about you. Number six, Jesus was wrongly communicated. You ever done anything right? good, appropriate, and somebody picks it up and just puts a little spin on it, tells the story in just a little bit different way so that you look bad. All of a sudden now it looks like you were doing something wrong, and everybody goes with that story. Yet Jesus knows what that feels like. Number seven, Jesus was rejected. That's almost kind of stating the obvious, but... Really, what I want to point out here, he was rejected by people who actually had the responsibility of validating him. People that should have been verifying who he was, and yet what he experienced was people who said, I, we. Reject you. I reject you. Have you been on the stinging end of those of that sentence? Have you been on the other end of those words? Jesus has. Number eight, Jesus was insulted and treated rudely and ugly. That almost makes me laugh a little bit. I mean, hey, if you're walking through planet Earth, what are the odds? Right? I mean, you go to Walmart this week and dive into the school line, the, the, the school supply line. See what the chances of being treated rudely or ugly are. <laughs> I mean, that's just life, isn't it? We might say that's a, that's a little thing in light of some of the things that have been said or especially some of the things that are coming. And yet stop and think about how big an act of rudeness can affect you. Matter of fact, if somebody was rude to you here today, and it happens, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, it does Right here at the heights, not not metaphorically, you can, you can come in here minding your own business and all of a sudden somebody snaps at you, they're rude, they're ugly and and maybe it bothers you a little bit more because I mean you, you might expect to be treated rude at some places but not here, right? But, but wouldn't Jesus be able to identify with that? Hey, these are people he made. People he's done nothing but good for. Wouldn't he have the right to? I mean, here with this group, I kind of expect, you know, politeness and respect. And he's treated rude and ugly. You know, folks, there are, if, if you were treated rudely here today, it might be a little thing. But, but stop and think about it. And we know this by experience, don't we? You'd go home and you'd think about that the rest of this day, wouldn't you? Little act of rudeness, you'd think about it the rest of that. Matter of fact, my probably would add to that, you'd probably talk to somebody about it, wouldn't you? As a matter of fact, depending on the person and what they said or did, there's actually a chance that an act of rudeness here this morning would mean you would never come back to this church again. As a matter of fact, I'm confident that in this room is somebody who. For whom there is a church you will never go back to again because they were rude. They were ugly. I mean number eight can sound really kind of small until you realize many of us, if not all of us, have been very shaped, have made decisions that impacted life based on an act of of rudeness. Jesus knows what that feels like. Number nine, Jesus' friend, Peter, would not stand for him or even acknowledge knowing him and and Jesus witnessed it. Jesus saw it happen. Have you ever have you ever walked up on a group of friends you know, or maybe some of them you didn't know, but one or two of them was friends, and you walk up and priests and soon you realize, "Oh, they're talking about me. That's an awkward moment, isn't it? I hope not many of us have had that experience. I'm guessing plenty of us have had that experience. You realize then and, and, and maybe somebody you like as a friend of yours is talking bad about you. You know, I've, I've experienced that. But I was the Peter. I'd Really like to say I was the Jesus in that moment, but no, I was the Peter. I was in high school and being a stupid high school guy and I was with some friends and and we were talking I don't remember why what led to this but but probably one of my best friends in high school very best friends walked up behind right when I said something really ugly about him that was that was that was an awful moment and I'm not asking you to feel bad for me think about the person who gets to hear it i i was the peter my friend knew what maybe jesus would have felt like in that moment and you know i'm not sure what's worse to to hear somebody say something bad about you or to see somebody deny they even know you man i don't i so i don't even want to be connected don't don't confuse me with no not even being a friend i don't even know never met Jesus, you know, we call we call Judas the betrayer, but wouldn't you imagine that feels a lot like betrayal right there? Jesus knows number 11. Oh, no, excuse me, go back. I missed a couple. Go back. Yeah, Uh, number 10, Jesus was looked over by the crowd and another chosen. Now, there's one point, but isn't that kind of two things you ever been looked over? I mean, that's an experience all by itself. Did anybody remember my name? Did I not show up on a list anywhere? (laughs) I mean, it looks like everybody in the group was invited. Where's my name? I mean, accident, on purpose. You probably have felt the feeling of being Overlooked, not included. But then there's there is a step that's worse. They they overlook you. They don't do what is right by you. And they they choose somebody else. I'm referring to Pilate basically says, OK, somebody's getting crucified today. I'll let you choose who doesn't get crucified. And they and they chose Barabbas. He was a murderer. He was actually going to be executed because that was the just and right thing to, to do. And they, they chose him. And, you know, we, we experience number 10 everywhere from the schoolyard to the office place. I mean, there's so many places we can experience. That hurts, doesn't it? And Jesus knows exactly what you feel like in that moment. Number 11, Jesus was hated for no reason by people he had done no wrong. I mean, why do you hate? What have I done to you? Well, why do you hate? Why do you hate me? By the way, can I just stop here on number 11? I know we're almost through the list. But, and just remind us, this all happened in 24 hours. You take any single one of these items and put them into your life, and they totally affect your entire week, if not your entire year, if not your entire life. Can be affected Hurt, pain, scars, because you went through that. This is, and again, I'm not saying this is the only place Jesus got hurt. This is just one really bad. Ever got to the end of a bad day? Teachers, students... Long about Thursday, if you get home. You know, I've, I've raised four kids, and so I've had a lot of first days of school. And I think with each of them, at least once, there was a, there was a day in that first week. Boy, that was just a, a really couldn't have gone much worse. G, if it could not go any worse, you understand that Jesus totally gets that. I mean, seriously, all joking aside, he knows what it means to the come to the end of an awful day. Number 12, Jesus was made fun of and mocked. If you will read those verses, you'll see that being made fun of and mocked is very distinct from being treated rudely and ugly. They're not, they're not the same. You, you'll, you'll see different events, different experiences, different things happening in that. Jesus was horribly beaten and tortured. Um, I guess this is the obvious thing to say, but let me say it. In his human body, Jesus experienced the absolute worst physical pain that a human body can experience, period. No one ever has experienced more physical pain than Jesus did. Now, many maybe have experienced very similar, very much like the pain. I'm not saying he's the only one who's had that pain, but nobody's had more. He knows what it feels like from the body to be racked with pain from head to toe. When you study what happens to the nervous system, the skin, the muscles, the bones, when you look at what happens in a flogging, when you look at what happens in a crucifixion, there is no greater pain that could have been inflicted upon him. And that is not alone. That's to be coupled with number 14. You know, there's physical pain that we're going through for all kinds of reasons. And then there's emotional pain. I don't know what makes the worst emotional. What What is the list? Hey, if this has happened to you, then you qualify for the worst emotional pain possible. I, I'm not, I don't know for sure what goes on that list that, that makes it the worst ever. But I, I think Jesus would be in that area. I mean, he was absolutely, completely abandoned by everyone and everything, not just the people who said, I reject you, but the people that had said, I love you. Even to the point of God. I'm referring there to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think one of the most difficult For me, probably the most difficult theological thing in the entire Bible is to understand what was happening in that moment right there in that schism between the Father and the Son. As all of the the evil and the sin was placed on Christ and the justice that demanded the Father look away. The justice. Justice demanded that. We all want justice. Justice demanded that. I actually think that when Jesus was sweating those drops of blood, that when he was praying, praying on Thursday night, it it was number 14 that he was thinking about more than 13. We think about the physical pain, right? I'm going to get a shot tomorrow. (laughs) I I, I actually think he was more anxious, fearful of what was going to happen in number 14 than he was 13. In Number 15, Jesus died. None of us have. That's one thing Jesus experienced. None none of us have been there. We don't know what that moment is like. Jesus does. But if we could take what literally happened to him and think about it metaphorically for us, we've all experienced the death of something, right? The death of a dream. The the death of a hope. The death of of a very significant relationship. Of course, there's the... The, the literal death of somebody that we love very much. We, I would imagine many of us. There, man, there's things we've prayed about, things we've wanted to change, the things we kept saying, "What if? What if?" We kept working on, but finally, you know, you reach that point where it's over. It's it's done. There's no more prayers. There, there's no more what ifs. There's no there's nothing to hope in now. It is completely done. It, it's 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 dead. J- Jesus knows exactly how you feel when that dream, that hope, that person died he knows what that moment means Gosh, this is awful. I just awful I just wish I could have a little background music playing uh, not you could barely hear it but it would let you know that in the midst of all this awfulness there'd be some kind of positive to the music <laughs> you know there'd be something letting you know right hey this day's not over and this day doesn't get the final say because we do know where the rest of the story goes right you, you got to come back next week for that it's a really really good ending to the story <laughs> Man, yes, come on now. But you know what? I tell you what. There are. It's, it's, I'm not jumping ahead to the resurrection, but there are some really good things that did happen in the midst of this horrible day. Let me. Let me. I, I said 15. I'm sorry. There's a 16 and a 17. But then I'll stop. Now, number 16. Jesus made a way for the impossible. That's what those 15 things are all about. It was in the midst of every one of those 15 things happening that God was making a way for you to stand before the almighty God on the great day of judgment and be called a friend to be declared righteous. That's what was happening on that day. Impossible for you and me. But he did it. It, number 17, man, in the midst of all that, Jesus proved and was seen to be God. I'm referring to the Roman soldier. I don't know what all the Roman soldier witnessed in that list of 15. But he witnessed a good bit of it. And somehow, had, this guy's never been to a Bible study. This guy's never sat in a sermon. He's never been introduced to Jesus. And he watches what goes on and says, I think this guy's God. Man, that's a little bit of a challenge to you and me, isn't it? As you and I are going through our worst days. Could could somebody watch me go through my worst day and actually think, hey, there might be a God. I mean, we think of our worst days as saying there is no God. But could my worst day be an opportunity for somebody to see there, there is Oh uh, well, let's, there's so many things in this list to address. We'll just push sixteen and seventeen aside. What's going on with these first fifteen things? Why, why, why is all that happening? Well, because, folks, the world's evil, right? There's evil people, there's evil forces, there are evil things going on. And, and, and so much of that you and I will, will stand before and, and we're powerless. I, I can't stop it. I can't make it change. I can't make it go away. We, we just feel powerless in that moment. It's an out of control moment when some of these things are going on. But do you realize everything that is true for you and me is not at all true for Jesus? He is not powerless before evil forces. He's not powerless before evil people. There is nothing out of control for Jesus because he owns all control. So why then? Why does he? I would stop it. Why doesn't he stop it? You know, it's interesting. Mark 14 and 15, two pretty long chapters. It'll take you a few minutes to read them. And it's all detailing this story about what is going on up to and, and through the cross. And, and right there in the heart of Mark 14 and 15, it's just a phrase. You'll read right by it. It won't, it won't leave a mark on you at all. I mean, it's not even a whole sentence. It's just a phrase. And yet that phrase is explaining why all this is happening. So that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. G- Jesus said that he was he's he's in the garden of, of Gethsemane and he, he sees the, the temple guards coming to arrest him. And he he kind of asks this rhetorical question. You know, I mean, he doesn't expect the disciples or the guards to answer. I, I, I mean, he's he's making a point to them. I actually think he's making a point for you and me. I, I think he's showing you and I something in, in this statement. He says, well, now, isn't this interesting? Here you are coming to arrest me. And you're going to arrest me for things that I have done in broad daylight. You're going to arrest me before things I have done openly and in public for all to see, for any to question, for any to challenge, for any to dialogue about. Everything I've done, everything you're arresting me for, I've done in broad daylight. And yet here you are arresting me in secrecy. Here you are arresting me under the the cover of of darkness. Hmm, doesn't that say something? Now, it's a rhetorical question. He doesn't wait for them to, to actually answer it. He just goes ahead and answers the question. Why is it all happening? So that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. You know what the Scriptures are, right? That, that's the Word of God. Wait, wait, wait a minute. So all these things happen by the will of God? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, lest you think that's just, a, you know, my interpretation of things, let's let God say it himself. Isaiah 53, verse 12. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. What an interesting choice of words. It was it was it was the will of the father. To crush. To crush under lies, to crush under betrayal, to crush under physical pain, to crush under emotional pain, to to, to crush him. Why? Because it was also the will of the Father to make to make me have an opportunity to be called righteous. To be called righteous as I enter eternity. Man. Folks, nothing happened in those 24 hours because things were out of control. Nothing happened because God was powerless. This all happened by God's design, by God's plan. You know, that might on one hand be an encouragement to you. And on another hand, that might be really confusing, right? Why would that happen? You know, we we use a phrase in church. It comes out of scripture. We use a phrase in church to describe this. We say the sin of the world was placed on Jesus, right? We've all heard that phrase. As a matter of fact, we hear that phrase so often and so much that we can hear it and it really have no impact on us. Well, yeah, sure, that's what was supposed to happen. Sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And, and we can hear that without any thought of what that actually means. How do you put every rape, every murder, every abuse, every lie, every betrayal, the greed, the lust, the arrogance, the total selfishness? How do you you can't put all that on somebody softly and tenderly? You can't put all that on somebody clean. When all of that, not just yours, all of us, all of that placed on him, it can be nothing more than an absolutely violent, horrific, ugly, disgusting moment. So you could be a child of God, so that you could be a friend of God, so that you could be counted as righteous. The Bible says God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were the vile, while we were the disgusting, that's when Christ died for us on the cross. I don't know about you, but that's the greatest joy in my life. I have banked my whole life On what happened in these 24 hours. It is all I have. As I walk through this life. And even more importantly. As I walk toward eternity. I I possess nothing. I hold on to nothing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand. I love God for that. I thank God for that. But I'm going to say something. That I've never said out loud. Not in a sermon. Not in a Bible study. There, There was the service. So technically now I have said it out loud. Because there was a 915 service. But I'd never said it out loud before today. So hear me. I love God. I trust God for what he did. But there's always been a little bit of an element of confusion in me in that it it just doesn't make sense. That that a loving God would do this to his son. I, I thank God that I'm the beneficiary of all that comes out of that. But he crushed his son. You know, I'm just going to state what I hope is obvious here. I mean, you know, I love y'all. I really, I don't, I don't know all of you on the same level or the same experience, but I love you, I care about you, I, I pray for you, I'm your pastor, and I would serve you. But I would not for one second crush my son for any of you. I, I would not even pray about it. I wouldn't have to think about it. If my crushing my son saved you, good luck. Hope it works out. I'm not crushing my sons. I'm not crushing my daughter. Their daughters, there is like no chance of all of that happening. And, you know, I can say that with a great deal of comfort because you, you don't hold me accountable for that, do you? Any more than I would you. I don't expect you to crush your child on my behalf. But God did. So how is that loving? And I, and I guess here's why. Because if that seems to say... And, and understand, we, we are the, um, there's hardly anything more vaulted than the American mind. We think we think so incredibly high of ourselves. It seems like God loves me as much as he does Jesus, maybe more. He's, he's willing to let Jesus go through all that. I mean, look how loved I am. Look at the worth that I have. But how's that, how's that fair to Jesus? And the other, other day, I've always been just a tad confused about that. The other day, I was reading something I mean like like in the last two weeks i wasn 't reading for this sermon. It, it was not about the cross, but i I was reading, and this person said something, and all of a sudden it kind of it kind of shaped my mind in a new way to how to to understand this and think about it that just kind of like those you know the light bulb went off moment and it 's just such a subtle subtle you might even say i don 't even get the difference it 's so subtle, but I think it means so much folks, the cross. Is not showing how lovable I am. It's showing how loving God is. Do you catch the subtle difference? The cross is not trying to show me. How much worth I have to heaven. The cross is showing me how much worth. God should hold in my heart. Subtle difference, but so incredibly important. The cross demands a response. You can't shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well. You can't. Oh, that's something to think about. No, that that makes you no different than the person that says, I reject you. And by the way, you're no different than Jesus in that. You ever you ever done something for somebody, you know, probably a mate or a child, you know, somebody you really love and and you just did something real little for him. You sent him a card. You got him a a, a little gift. You did that out of your love and you sent that. And, you know, when you do that, you're kind of excited to see their response. Right. Right. Does anybody know what I'm talking about at all? Just the meanest people in the whole world right here. Never done anything loving for anybody. okay And when you do that little thing, what do you expect next time you see them? You, you, you I mean, as a matter of fact, if they don't say something, you're. Did you? Did you get my. Uh, did, did, did you did you get you know, I don't I don't want to bring it up, but did you. you why, why would we all do that? Because we expect a response to our love. Is it fair to say that the cross is a little bigger than any little gift of love I've given to Somebody. Is it fair to say that a response is totally in demand? And to not respond is to reject and then to experience all the consequences of walking away from all you have in this life. God's love shown for you at the cross. The love, by the way, that means whatever this week holds, You're not alone. Stop saying. You're alone. Jesus has been through way too much. For you to act like you're the only one who's ever. Every moment of our life. Every word, every relationship. Every response, every act is a response to the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I would pray for each of us this day, this week, that you give us wisdom in how we respond to who you are, to what you have done for us at that cross, to that love that you have shown Lord, there's not a single person in this room that is not actually behind. There's there's a way I should have responded because of the cross, and I haven't. I have resisted sharing the gospel. I have resisted giving. I have resisted forgiving. I have resisted serving. I have have resisted because that person doesn't deserve it. I've resisted because that person won't appreciate it. God, God, there are so many things we should be doing simply in response. To the worth of you that fills our heart. And we're not doing it. I pray you'd guide every single one of us into into the first thing. God, I'm thankful that you don't throw the whole list at us at once. What's the first thing I need to go correct and change and begin doing differently in my character, in my thoughts, in that relationship, in that situation? God, what's the first thing I need to do differently? Because I want to respond rightly to how you have loved Lord, I know many of us in this room, we responded to you one day when we first understood what the cross was. And we, we came to faith in Jesus Christ and we began a journey with you. Lord, I pray we don't think that's the only thing, that's the only response to the cross every day, every moment is a response to the cross. God, help me see that all through this week. God, open my eyes to all the different places that maybe I need to think, act, respond differently because of the cross. And Lord, for those who are in here who've never first come to the cross, who've never begun that relationship, I pray today would be the day. May today be the day of their salvation, the day they respond to your love. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray all this. Amen.